powerful in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God once again for bringing us together in this fashion um, that we may honor and praise Him together as we hear His word um, to us. We we have been going through uh, as I, uh, as we as weekly. Uh, through the gospel according to Mark, and we are in chapter 11 this morning. We're looking at verses um, 12 up until verse 14, verse 12 and up until verse 14, and after that we'll, we'll look at verse 21, verse 20, and uh, verse 21 of the same chapter. And the title of this uh, sermon this morning is A Warning Against a Fruitless Life. A Warning Against a Fruitless Life. A Warning Against Fruitlessness. Follow me as I read God's word. And I'll read again verse uh, 20 and 21. Verse 12 to verse 14. This is what God's word says. I read from the ESV. On the following day, when they had... When they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig leaf, a fig tree in uh, a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, "May no one ever eat from you again." And his disciples heard it. Then verse 21, verse 20 and verse 21. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. This is God's word. Let us pray. Lord, our prayer this morning is that our hearts will long for you. Our hearts will long to hear your word, to be led by you, to be filled with you. We desire that as we hear from you this morning, that our lives will be completely transformed, that we will be sanctified through your word, for your word is truth. Speak to us, Lord. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought as I declare your word. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Now, remember that we are walking with Jesus, right, and his disciples through the last week of his earthly life. It is amazing that Jesus was able to pack so much activity into a seven-day period of time. He accomplished much during those seven days, and not a single moment was wasted by our Lord. He um use this time wisely. In, in, in this message, we are going to look at an event that occurred on an early Monday morning of our Lord's Passion Week. This single event was designed to teach us about the judgment of God that was coming upon the nation of Israel. They had rejected their Messiah, and they were about to pay a terrible price. While this text, yes, speaks primarily to Israel, 
in context, there is also a word of warning here for all people. That the Lord Jesus wants us all to know that he's examining our lives. He wants us to know that he is looking for genuine spiritual fruit in our lives, real spiritual fruit. When he finds that fruit, we are blessed. When he does not find that fruit, there's a high price to pay. Let's follow Jesus and his disciples through these verses today. I want to preach, as I said, about a warning against a fruitless life. I want you to see with me the Lord's desire, the Lord's disappointment, the Lord's declaration, and the Lord's demonstration. Desire, disappointment, declaration, and demonstration. And let's consider these thoughts together. Let's also be sure that we hear his message in our hearts. It is an important message that we cannot afford to miss. Verse 12, we see the Lord's desire. The Lord's desire in verse 12. Look at that verse. It says, on the following day, when they had when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. As Jesus and his men travel from Bethany back into Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus becomes hungry. This simple truth has little to do with the message I want to preach today, but it is a truth that needs to be explored for a few moments. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of that little donkey, the Bible says of that donkey, the Lord has need of it, remember? In Mark chapter 11, verse 3, as I mentioned then, as we noticed, it amazes me that the Lord could, could ever have a need for anything. After all, he is God, isn't he? He is the creator. He is the Lord of glory. Yet when Jesus was born into this world, he laid aside his heavenly glory for a time to live in this world as a man. The, 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 the one who made all things became dependent upon the things that he made. Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? The paradox of life, we spoke about that word paradox, that it is a seemingly uh, contradictory statement, but it is true. The paradox of the life, of the earthly life of the Lord Jesus Christ is summed up in uh, the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. In other words, uh, uh, bear with me as I repeat myself, the creator became a helpless infant, dependent upon his mother for everything. He owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he had nowhere to lay his head. He fashioned everything out of nothing, as the Latins say, uh, ex nihilo. Uh, out of nothing, he had no building material, yet there was a perfect world after he was done, yet he had to borrow a boat from which he was to preach his gospel. He created every drop of water that exists in the world, yet he cried a thirst as he was dying on the cross. He created every tree, but he died on a borrowed cross. He created every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which he was to be buried. He used the clouds as his chariots, according to Psalm 104 verse 3, yet he had to borrow a donkey 
on which to ride. All of these things are a clear evidence of his humanity. When Jesus was born into this world, he remained fully God, but he became fully man. It's what Paul tells us, doesn't isn't it? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8, he says he was... In, in, he was God, yet he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. This is seen in many ways, in many areas of his life. Consider the following. Jesus experienced hunger, as we see here in verse, 11, in verse 12 of chapter 11. He experienced thirst. Uh, remember in John chapter 19, verse 28, he experienced weariness. Remember when he, he was with the uh, disciples and he had interaction with the Samaritan woman, he was um, weary and yet to rest. Jesus experienced pain uh, on the cross. Matthew chapter 27 verse 35. He experienced rejection. They rejected him, the, um, the, the, the Israelites in John chapter 1 verse 11. He experienced loneliness in Matthew chapter 26 verse 56. He experienced Poverty in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20. There is more that could be said about his human experience. But we need to remember that he endured all he did so that he might identify with us. He did everything he did so that he might go to the cross to die for his people. He did all that he did so that he could experience life from our perspective and extend compassion and help for his people. He's a high priest who is well acquainted with um, our weaknesses. And I praise God that Jesus became a man so that we might have a redeemer. And not only a redeemer, brothers and sisters, but a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You're my, uh, you're my fr- friend. Is it, what does it say? Yeah. You're my friend, and yet you're my brother, even though you're a king. Right? Uh, just, just think about that line for, for a minute. That the Lord of glory, the one who created the universe, who holds everything by the power of his word, the one who told the stars where to stop in the sky, the the one who makes sure that all the atoms hold together is our friend. Isn't that amazing? Even though he's a king, you hardly get that as a peasant, do you? A peasant being a friend of a king? You hardly get that. Tell me of a kingdom. Even even earthly kingdoms today, where uh, uh, just a, 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 a normal subject of the kingdom is a friend of the king, where, where a normal subject of the king, of the kingdom can converse with the king, can be led by the king in their hearts. If you um, are aware of of kingdoms, usually. The, the subjects are, are resentful of the king, even though they are under his rule. Yet he is our friend, brothers and sisters. He is our friend. 
So we see, first of all, the Lord's desire. Secondly, verse 12 and verse 13, the Lord's disappointment. The Lord's disappointment. Verse 13, and seeing in the distance a thick tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. The text tells us that Jesus is hungry. As he walks, he sees in the distance a fig tree in leaf. The tree is in full leaf. So Jesus goes to it hoping to find some figs to eat. When he comes to the tree, he finds nothing but leaves. And the text says, which uh, I must confess, it was something that is very uh, confusing for me. That The text, as you read it, it says, it was not the season for figs. And probably, as you have read that yourself, you would be like, why is Jesus looking for figs when there's no, when it's not a season for figs? So in order to understand what is happening here, we need to examine these verses a little closer, right? Uh, let, let me just give you a history of, of figs, or just uh, an understanding of figs just a bit. Fig trees were and are very common in Israel. The, the, the common fig, which is mentioned over 60 times in the Bible, is one of the most important trees of the Word of God. It is first mentioned, if you remember, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, when Adam and Eve, after they sinned against God and they discovered they are naked, they use the leaves of a fig to cover their nakedness. Figs are, were a vital part of the Middle Eastern diet. The, 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 the fruit was sweet to the taste. If you remember Judges chapter 9, or the, the parable of the trees, who would rule them? The fig says, if I am to rule you, I am not to give my sweetness anymore. It was sweet. And in, in Jeremiah chapter 24 verse Two, we see that the first ripe figs were especially valued. Again, in First Kings chapter four, verse twenty-five, fig trees were valued for their shade. It was a sign of peace and prosperity to sit under the shade of a fig tree. Remember, in John chapter one, verse 14, forty-eight, it was under a fig tree that Jesus first saw Nathaniel. Again, in, John, in, in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 2 and verse 23, good fig trees were used as a picture of obedient believers. In, in verse 2 to verse uh, 8 of Jeremiah 24, rotten fig trees, uh, rotten figs were used as a picture of wicked men. The fig tree was also uh, used by the Old Testament prophets as a sign of judgment. As you look at Isaiah chapter 34 verse uh, 4, the fig tree was used as a symbol of the nation of Israel as well. So that's now where we, 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 we get into the point. It was also used as a nation of Israel. Uh, you, you'll see it a lot, especially in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 13, uh, chapter 29 verse 17, Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 chapter, uh, and verse 16, and so on and so forth. The, the, this is a brief sample of what the Bible has to say about the fig tree. Fig trees are unusual in that they can produce as many as three crops in a single year. The first crop is produced on the old wood. 
Early in the year, green knobs or buds appear at the end of the branches. And this is where we get to understand why Jesus went to this fig tree to look for figs. This was around uh, probably April. They are called uh, pagin, uh, P-A-G-G-I-M. This is the first of the season. And while this fruit is not juicy and rich as the later fruit, it is still quite edible. After the pagim appear, the, the fig tree will bear to grow its leaves, uh, will begin to, to grow its leaves and, 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 and new growth will show. The fig tree is unique in that it can be in full fruit, full leaf, and full bloom at the same time. The first crop becomes ripe. Um, this is around uh, April um, to, to June. The second in September, and some uh, around around that time, and the third crop is in December. Since the fruit grows as the trees produces its leaves, it was reasonable for Jesus to assume that there would be fruit on the tree when he came to it, because it was it had leaves as well, right? It had the appearance that it had produced pagim, the first crop of the year. Although it was not sweet, for a traveler who was hungry could go and eat from it. So the fruit grows as the tree produces its leaves. It was reasonable. So when Jesus came to it and searched the tree, he found it was all leaves. There was no fruit to be found. This fig was deceptive because its leaves promised something that the tree could not deliver that the leaves promised fruit, but there was no fruit. There was nothing wrong with the soil. Remember that? Uh, The market does not tell us anything about the soil. There was nothing wrong uh, with, with, um, you know, the, the season. The fact that there was no rain, it doesn't tell us that there was no rain. There was simply no fruit. That is the emphasis, isn't it? There was no fruit. The tree had been given everything it needed to flourish. It sat in a good location. It grew in good soil. It enjoyed the sun and the rain. Still, still, this tree was not fruitful. And I hope you uh, are picking up that I'm not talking about trees here. A fig tree in full leaf in April, should have been covered with early fruit. Since this tree had no early fruit, it was a sign that there would be no sweet fruit when the time for harvest arrived. This tree had nothing to offer, and it was therefore useless. This tree was not fit for anything but only fit to be cut down and fed to the fire. When we consider the text, we must take it in context. Remember, as we looked at verse 1 to 11, Jesus has just presented himself to Israel as a king. He had publicly declared his identity, and Israel would ultimately reject their king. Israel was just like this fruitless fig. They had all the signs of spiritual life, but they had no fruit. 
They were keeping the letter of the law. They were carrying out the temple ceremonies. They were observing the ancient feast and the sacrifices. They were religious in every detail, but they had no spiritual fruit. Israel promised all who saw her that she would show them the way of God. In reality, she could only show them the way of religious bondage and the way to hell. Israel had gone to leave. Israel had no fruit. Israel looked alive, but she was spiritually barren. Israel had been given every advantage that could be afforded a people. Every advantage. They had received the personal attention and redemption of the almighty God. They had been planted in a good land. They had the word of God through the prophets. And they had the temple of God. They had everything they needed for for a spiritual uh, uh, bumper crop. They had remained fruitless regardless. So we cannot blame the fact that they did not know about God. We cannot blame the fact that God was not with them. God has shown himself to Israel countless times. Israel had no fruit now and there would be none in the future. They were useless, spiritual and fit for nothing but for the fire of judgment. As you might imagine, there is a message here for us as well. When the Lord examines our lives, and he does, what does he see? Does he see us bearing fruit for the glory of God? Or does he see a tree that has gone to leave? Uh, let, let's face the truth today, brothers and sisters. We have, we have been given every spiritual advantage God has to offer. We have his word. We have his church. We have his spirit. He has blessed us in abundance. There is no excuse for us being a fruitless branch. We have the appearance of life. We all have the appearance of life. We use the Bible, the right Bible, right? You have a Bible with 66 books in it. It's even written the Holy Bible outside. We sing the right songs. Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Wonderful, merciful Savior. I was thinking about that part as we were singing. Oh, our hearts always hunger for. Always. Do they always hunger for? Do we always hunger for God? Or our appetites, brothers and sisters, hijacked by the things of the world? Are our appetites hijacked by pleasure? Hijacked by immorality? Hijacked by social media? Do our hearts always hunger for him? Or are we just singing? 
we, we get to a point where we sing because we know the songs. We sing because we are so used to the melody by now. We, we sing because it's familiar to us. It's, it's, it's the routine of our life. Have we, have we gotten to that point, brothers and sisters, that we are just in leaf? There is no true fruit. We just sing. We just come and go through the motions of it. The problem is not in the word. The problem is not in the songs that we sing. The problem is in our hearts. We have all the appearances of life. Yet is there any fruit? Are we really in love with Jesus? Are we really in love with one another? Is he the centerpiece? Is Jesus the centerpiece of all that we do? Is there real commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ or do we merely give him lip service? Is Central Baptist Church all leaf? Or do we have fruit that honors the Lord? What about in your individual life? Are you all leaves? Do you have fruit? Uh, let's take a minute to examine ourselves before the Lord. Ask yourselves the following questions. You don't need to answer. Is Jesus really the first priority of your life? Or is his will, his worship and his work just an afterthought? Just a footnote in your life. Do you have all the appearances of religion and salvation, but no real commitment to God? Do you shout and sing and pretend to worship while you hold things in your heart against others? Do you look and act saved at church, but live like the devil elsewhere? Do you plan your life around all the things you want to do, but don't see the need to plan around the Lord's work? Everything else is more important than the Lord. Not the Lord more important than anything else. Before we honor the Lord, we think about what should I do? And if I don't have anything in my busy schedule. Sometimes the word busy can become a demonic word, brothers and sisters. It's good to be busy. But if busy keeps you away from the Lord, it is busy for Satan's business. Do you have any real fruit in your life? Fruit is always the evidence of genuine salvation. When a person is saved by grace, they will bear fruit for his glory. It's not a matter of is there fruit or not. As a Christian, there must be fruit. It doesn't matter if the whole tree is full of fruit. 
but there must be fruit. Some will bear 20, some 30, some 100. The question is not, is there fruit or not? The fruit is, the question is, how much fruit are you bearing? Already, we must assume that as a Christian, you're bearing fruit. You're growing. In John chapter 15, verse 5, the fruit of the vine is evidence of life within the branch. As the branch yields to the vine, and as the vine lives through the branch, fruit happens. What kind of fruit? Well, a changed life, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, he who is in Christ is a new creature. All things have passed away. What? New things have come. Secondly, a vibrant witness. You become a witness for Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. As the Holy Spirit comes upon you when you, uh, uh, when you receive him, you become a witness for him. And then the evidence of inward life. Galatians chapter 5. What does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Your life is, has, you, you are displaying evidence. And notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. You don't think a variety of fruits. You think one fruit Many uh, tastes. I forgot the word, uh, but yeah, it tastes. It has many tastes. Flavors. Thank you so much. Not everyone bears the same kind of fruit and the same amount of fruit. John 15, verse 1 to 8 tells us so. But everyone who is saved bears some fruit. And in truth, every life. Save the lost, best, some sort of fruit. But only those in a right relationship with God will bear his fruit. Did you hear the difference? Do you see the difference? You can only bear his fruit when you are in him. When we are all leaf and no fruit, we are living in spiritual hypocrisy. We are fit for nothing but judgment. So what does Jesus see when he looks at your life? You're fortunate that I'm not a prophet. So I don't see anything. So you can answer to Jesus. So you see, the Lord's desire, the Lord's Disappointment, verse uh, number three, uh, point number three, the Lord's declaration. This is in verse 14. Verse 14, listen to the words of the Lord. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples had it. Before I go into this, I just want to put a footnote here. The Lord was not cursing every other tree, fig tree in the world. 
it was this specific tree. Right? So don't come with your figiology and tell us all the figs are cursed. <laughs> right? It was this specific tree. Now, because the fig was uh, the fig tree was barren when it promised fruit, the Lord Jesus pronounced a curse upon it. He declared that it was to be fruitless forever. So some people read this and, and reached conclusion that Jesus operated in, in rush anger here. The, the, the phrase at the end that, 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 that tells us that it was not the season for, for figs leads them to conclude that Jesus was expecting something from the tree that the tree could not do. We've already discussed that matter, haven't we? If there were leaves on the tree, there should have been fruit as well. Jesus cursed the tree for its hypocrisy. The lack of fruit was not the reason for the curse. It was the pretense of all the leaves. <laughs> Do you see? It had the pretense. The tree was making promises it could not deliver. Again, this is a picture of the nation of Israel because they promised life but only delivered bondage and dead religion. They were cursed as well. We know that from the historical record that Jesus, uh, that Israel was judged for their rejection of the Lord Jesus. They, they paid a high price for their hypocrisy. First of all, they were destroyed by Rome. If you read history in 70 AD and the population that survived was scattered across uh, the world. The, their nation ceased to exist for, for nearly 1,900 years. The, the nation of Israel was reborn in 1948. It's just a recent thing, isn't it? But they still stand under God's judgment today. One day when Jesus returns in glory, the curse will be lifted and Israel will flourish again. But for now, they are paying a high price for their deception and their hypocrisy. I'll just remind you that the same scenario can be played out in our lives today. When we have the appearance of life but bear no fruit, we can expect a visit from the Lord. Verse 13 tells us that the fig tree was in the distance. Jesus made an effort to go to that tree and he will come to examine the fruit in our lives as well. You notice what we did as we read this passage. We read verse 12 and 14 and jumped straight to chapter to verse 21, 20 and 21. But if you notice the story in the middle, that's how uh, Mark writes. The story in the middle is the story of Jesus cleansing the temple. So Jesus is actually going to the tree and then going to the temple to teach the disciples a lesson about what's going on in Israel and how they need to be warned. And when they go back, they see the tree again. It was not coincidental that they saw the tree again. But we'll come back to that. It's not that we ran away from this passage. We just, I just wanted to deal with it in that way. If we are hypocritical and do not bear fruit as he desires us to, he might just set us aside as well. This was Paul's fear. In First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
This is also the promise of the uh, husbandsman to the branches in his vineyard. In chapter in, in John chapter 15 verse 2, if we make a pretense of religion by flaunting our leaves, but have no fruit, he will judge us too. That that verse deserves a little closer examination. When, when the Lord sees a fruitless branch, he takes it away. And this does not mean that he casts this branch out of the vine. It does mean that it begins to work in that branch to make it fruitful. He lifts it up and trains it to grow like he intends it to grow. Do you notice that every branch receives attention? We, we cannot say these ones the Lord neglected. These ones he gave more attention to. Well, when the Lord finds a branch that will not yield to his efforts to train it and to make it fruitful, that branch will experience the work of the vine dresser and a deeper and a more painful, at a deeper and a more painful level. John chapter 15 verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is a, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Well, this does not mean that the branch is cut out of the vine, as we said. It does mean, though, that it is trimmed back in an attempt to force it to be fruitful. All, this, all of this reminds us that those who know the Lord are expected to be fruitful branches. When we are not fruitful, we can expect the personal attention of the vine dresser in our lives. He will come to us with discipline to teach us and train us to become more fruitful for his glory. Remember the church in Laodicea. Our Lord declares to them in verse 19 of chapter 3 in Revelation, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. We must count it a fortune, brothers and sisters, when we are given an opportunity to repent in this world. All right? Sometimes in, in our foolishness, we chase after sin. We must count it an opportunity and a privilege when the Holy Spirit does his work of um, convicting us of sin. If we yield to him, we see his desire. His desire is that we bear fruit. John 15 verse 2, we bear fruit. John 15 verse 2 again, we bear more fruit. John 15 verse 5, we bear much fruit. So we must keep bearing fruit. We yield to him, his work and his will in our lives. We will be fruitful branches for his glory. Here's what we need to see today. The Lord is looking for fruit. If he finds it, in our lives, he will bless us and cause us to be even more fruitful. If he does not find fruit in our lives, he will take whatever steps are necessary to make us fruitful. And the question is, what will it bring you, what will bring you to a place of fruitfulness? What will the Lord have to do in your life to cause his fruit to appear? These are questions worth considering today. And I want to look at uh, lastly, verse 20 and verse 21, the Lord's demonstration. The Lord's demonstration, verse 20 and verse 21, we have skipped um, the, 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 um, the other verses. Look at verse 20 
and verse 21. As they passed in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you you cursed has withered. The disciples had Jesus when he cursed. Remember in verse 14, the next day as they passed, they saw that the fig tree was dried up to its roots. Peter called the Lord's attention to this miracle. The man could see that the Lord had worked the miracle and that this miracle was a special lesson to teach them. This miracle was a clear demonstration of the Lord's sovereignty over all things, including nature. Usually when a tree dries up, it it does so from the top down. Right? The root system will be the last part of the tree to die. Not this tree. Not this tree. And it usually doesn't take a day, does it? Jesus cursed it and it died from the roots up. It is a picture of total destruction. Again, this is a picture of Israel. They had been judged by the Lord for their hypocrisy and their rejection of the Messiah. They were destroyed from the root up. Here was the message of John the Baptist to Israel. And now, he says... Also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. Israel had not always been that way. They had been, uh, there was a time when, when they were fruitful and honoring to the Lord. Now they are in rejection and hypocrisy and their fate is sealed. They are cursed and they will be destroyed. I would just remind everyone here in this room that the same God who takes a lost sinner and saves his soul and blesses his life is the same God who will judge that life if if necessary. Does that make sense? If we will honor him, obey him, and serve him, he will bless us in wonderful ways. If you refuse to honor him, obey and serve him, he will bring his chastisement upon us, his discipline upon us. The same Lord who can fill us and, and use us and, and also leave us, can also leave us dry and empty. The same sun that melts the works is the same sun that hardens the soil. He has the power to bless us and he has the power to curse us, which depends upon ability to bear fruit for his glory. The disciples saw what happened and took it to heart. At least some of them did. One of their number, Judas Iscariot, was like Israel. He was all leaf and no fruit. He preached, healed, cast out demons, but he was all leaf. There was no reality of, in what he did. It was all hypocrisy. He was there in their number. He heard the Lord's teachings. There was nothing wrong with the Lord's teaching, was there? He heard the Lord firsthand, but he was all leaf. He did not know the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He did not know the Lord. He knew that his name is Jesus, but he did not know the Lord. Be sure you know him. If you don't, run to Jesus and be saved today. Take this message to heart that you believe. Sometimes we are so 
we will get to a point where we are satisfied with the appearance of religion, with the fact that I go to church on Sunday. We will get satisfied with so little, with the fact that when I drive my car, I listen to gospel music. We will get satisfied with little, yet bearing no fruit. I did not prepare this message with any individual in mind. I prepared it with the church in mind. But I know, brothers and sisters, that at this moment it is speaking to you individually. I know that you're searching your heart and and you're trying, you're attempting to to either reject, to, to harden, to, 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 to make yourself more stubborn uh, when you hear this message. But I want to tell you, I want to tell every single one of you that the Lord is speaking to you. Harden your heart at your own risk. He calls you today. He reminds you today that you must bear fruit. Your life must demonstrate that the Lord has done his work. He is not a lazy gardener. When his garden is not bearing anything, the problem is not his. It is you. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, um, there's a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the Lord, as your word says. But your hands are also hands that welcome us when we repent. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.